Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation would you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fill, fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man uh, for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the, uh, the Jews? They cried out again. Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. When Jesus had spoken these words, sorry, um, sorry, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out and, uh, again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you so that you, you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the robe of thorns and the purple, uh, sorry, the uh, crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to, said to them, behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greatest sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. 
Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, as the day of the preparation of the Passover, it was about the sixth hour, he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Thank you so much, Peter, for reading. Um, um, as I said before, it is a real pleasure to be um, speaking at the Covent Garden Talks. Um, the question that I'd like to begin with um, this lunchtime is this. How can we side with the crucified king when it costs us the world? Last week, the Christian charity Open Doors reported the severe persecution of Christians in Bangladesh. Meet Badol, whose name's been changed for obvious reasons. He became a follower of the Lord Jesus after reading the Bible with missionaries. Now, in his Muslim-majority community, he knew that following Jesus and expressing his faith openly would make things difficult. He was worried that his Muslim neighbours wouldn't accept him after his conversion. And sadly, he was right. He said, no one wants to talk, communicate or associate with me, even my extended family. Here is just one of the many examples of Christians across Bangladesh and across the world who have sided with Jesus. But it's cost them their family. It's cost them their place in the religious establishment. It's cost them their social standing. It's cost them the world because their world hates Jesus. And you might be thinking, well, that's Bangladesh and, and we're, we're all the way in London. But that's something that we experience day to day, isn't it? Perhaps not so much in an overt way, but it will be the experience for lots of us on the Zoom call today, maybe in our own workplaces. Perhaps we experience hostility from the HR department or our own teams or perhaps even our own families. The world around us hates Jesus, and this is our reality. And we've seen this in John's gospel so far. See, Jesus has been saying ever since chapter seven that the world hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. But what's most surprising is the fact that the most unlikely individuals, the Jews, God's chosen people, well, they have become the world. They've sided with Caesar. Chapter 19, verse 15, we have no king but Caesar. They have become the world. Now, for John's original, um, his first readers, siding with the crucified king would have also meant leaving your family, being kicked out of the synagogue, abandoning your heritage and giving up your identity. It would have cost them the world. For those who side with the crucified king, it was the same for them then as it is for us now. And so the question still remains today, how can we side with the crucified king when it costs us the world? Well, in our passage this lunchtime, Pilate faces that same question. You see, Pilate is presented with two choices and he weighs up the cost between them both. Choice one, the world, and choice two, Jesus. 
But before we get on to the, the choice that Pilot face and, and faces and the, and the choice that we all face, we need to unpack the two options that John presents for us. And this is reflected in the structure of today's passage. Perhaps you noticed it as it, as it was read out just now, but John presents us um, with, with the Jews who have become the world, who are on the outside, and Jesus on the inside, and Pilate, who's stuck in the middle, swinging in between. So firstly, we're going to unpack the two choices, and then we're going to look at Pilate's choice. So point one, the two choices. Look with me from uh, chapter 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So straight away, you see these two choices, Jesus on the inside and the Jews on the outside. And John's whole point is to show that how, how far away from each other they are, how they're, they're poles apart. And you see how the, the total hypocrisy of the Jews, they had no intention of entering the Roman governor's headquarters because they didn't want to miss out on the Passover. If they'd gone to, into a Gentile's house, they would have been unclean and they would have missed out on one of the biggest events of the year. And it gets worse. Take a look at, at verse 29. So Pilate went outside to them, to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. You see, the Jews are so determined to get Jesus crucified, but these verses are deeply ironic, aren't they? You see, they're blinded by their own law keeping. So they're, they're thinking to themselves, are we ritually clean on the outside? Yeah. Any blood on our hands? Nope. What about the murderous intentions in our hearts? Who cares? Here we see that the Jews' hypocrisy and murderous intent show that they really are rotten to the core. But contrast that with Jesus on the inside in the next scene in verses 33 to 37. You see, in this section, Jesus' words are full of peace and truth, not violence and deception. Jesus' intentions are totally opposite to the Jews. And also, look how many times the word king appears in the passage. Over and over, John reminds us that Jesus is a king. But he says, my kingdom is not of this world. See, Jesus is not like the Jews, viciously spewing, crucify him, crucify him. No, Jesus bears witness to the truth. And look again with me at the very last scene. So chapter 19, verse 14. Now, it was a day of preparation of the Passover. It was a day of about, it was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold, your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. See, that last phrase is really shocking, isn't it? We have no king but Caesar. In order to get their way, to get Jesus crucified, they denounced their allegiance to God and they announced their devotion to Caesar. 
And from the very start, the only thing on their mind and on their lips was crucify him, crucify him. How can we side with a crucified king when it costs us the world? Well, we've seen, haven't we, in these episodes, both the ugliness of the world on the outside and the gloriousness of Jesus on the inside held up to the light. How they're poles apart and how there's no middle ground. And now we're focusing our attention on Pilate, who's planted right in the middle, swinging inside and then outside, back and then forth, in and then out. And we're going to trace his choice over the seven scenes laid out in the passage. So point, two, point one, the two choices, and now point two, Pilate's choice. And we're going to see how Pilate weighs up the cost of siding with Jesus and then before making his choice. Now we're returning straight to the start, right at the start of the passage where, where the Jews have brought Jesus to Pilate. But despite calls for him to be tried, listen to Pilate shrug off any responsibility. Look with me from verse 35. Am I a Jew, your own nation, and the chief priests have delivered you over to me? What have you done? Pilate is totally different, indifferent at the start. He doesn't want to get drawn into any conversation. He's a Roman governor with plenty on his plate already. And this is the last thing he wants to hear. He's thinking it's not his problem. It's not even his nation. Don't get me involved. Siding with Jesus didn't matter at all in the first two scenes for Pilate, but by the time you get to scenes three, four, and five in the passage, his response shifts from indifference to deflection. Read with me from chapter 18, verse 38. After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told him, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to, to, me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Pilate has already pronounced Jesus as innocent, but instead of siding with Jesus, Pilate deflects their attention from the innocent Jesus to the criminal Barabbas. And as the next two scenes progress, you see Pilate continue to use deflection but in different ways. This time it's to pacify the Jews. Right at the start of chapter 19, Pilate has, um, has Jesus flogged, verse one, crowned with thorns, verse two, and dressed in a purple robe as they ridicule him, hail king of the Jews, verse three. This is a substantial shift from the indifferent Pilate. We saw right at the start that it wasn't his problem but now he's subjecting an innocent man to cruel mental and physical torture. Pilate knows Jesus is innocent, but he's still trying to please the world. He's on the fence. And as Jesus emerged from, this, from his brutal ordeal, dripping with blood and probably struggling to stay up, Pilate says, behold the man, hoping that this would be enough to satisfy the Jews spinelessly doing just enough to avoid making a decision to kill a man he knows to be innocent. But of course, the Jews continue to cry, crucify him, crucify him. Only death is going to satisfy them. 
Pilate's indifference and deflection when it comes to Jesus isn't enough to make the problem go away. How can we side with the crucified king when it costs us the world? Well, by the end of the first five scenes, we've seen how siding with Jesus didn't matter for Pilate at the start. He goes from being indifferent to Jesus, deflecting his responsibility to choose. But as the pressure from the world increases, we see a further shift in his position. As we enter the sixth scene, Pilate is starting to become desperate. Look with me at verse nine. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? You see, pulling rank in front of Jesus shows Pilate's insecurity. It's desperate. So he moves from indifference to deflection to desperation, and you can feel the tension in the air. What, what decision is Pilate going to make? The drama climaxes as we enter our final scene as Pilate desperately tries to release Jesus. Or the Jews, they go to another level. Look at me at verse 12. The Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. This is sinister, isn't it? The Jews become more Roman than the Roman governor himself. They challenge Pilate's loyalty to Caesar, and with that, Pilate eventually breaks. He delivers Jesus over to them to be crucified. Pilate goes from indifference to deflection to desperation to decision. The pressure from the world kept on building, and Pilate could not escape making the de his decision. Pilate had to choose. There are only two, really only two choices, the world on the outside and Jesus on the inside. There's no middle ground. And so he needed to choose between the two. But what's interesting is that as Pilate announces his verdict, we know that he is absolutely clear that Jesus is king. So look with me at verse five. When Pilate brings Jesus out to them, he says, behold the man. But when he brings Jesus out again towards the end of the passage in verse 14, he says, behold your king. So throughout the narrative, you can tell that Pilate is growing in understanding of who Jesus is. And that really explains his movement from indifference to desperation. Pilate gets clearer and clearer about who Jesus is. And it's a complete opposite movement to the blind man earlier in John chapter 9. Because the clearer he gets about who Jesus is, the more he worships him. Earlier on in the passage, Jesus was robed in purple and crowned with thorns pressed into his skull with blood dripping from his face. But despite what it might have looked like, despite appearances, this was in fact his coronation. This was in fact his hour of glory. Jesus really is the king. But here, we not only see that Jesus is king, but we also see that Jesus is judge. Listen to Jesus' response as Pilate pulled rank a little bit earlier. 
you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. You see, Jesus is the one who's actually in control. Jesus is the one judging who's, who's more at fault. And John is hinting that Jesus is judge. And building on that, take a look at verse 13. So Pilate heard these words. He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat. Who's sitting on the judgment seat? It could be Pilate. It could be Jesus. In the Greek, it's deliberately unclear. Perhaps John's making the point that it's both, though. On the one hand, as, the, as Pilate, the governor of Jerusalem, is the one judging what to do with Jesus. But on the other hand, Jesus, the king of the world, will judge Pilate for his decision. Chapter 19, verse 15. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. How can we side with the crucified king when it costs us the world? It must have been almost impossible. Now, throughout this whole episode with Pilate, the Jews have rejected God's king. They've put him to death. They've sworn allegiance to an earthly king. And this earthly king, Caesar, doesn't look like he's being crucified anytime soon. When Pilate was given the opportunity to side with Jesus, the king and judge of the world, he weighed up the costs and chose the world instead. And across the world, billions who find no fault in Jesus will do the same. The irony is that Paul ended up acknowledging Jesus anyway. A few verses later, we discover that Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And this was his inscription, his sign that proclaimed to everyone who passed by that Jesus, the man on the cross, was king. And in the same way, every person who rejects the Lord Jesus will one day have to confess that he is Lord. The choice we face is not whether we turn to Jesus, but when. On the last day, when we get nothing but judgment in return, or now when we have a whole new creation on offer. If you're on the Zoom call today and you've not yet decided on the Lord Jesus, well, today's the day. Do speak to myself or Joel or any of the other works at Covent Garden as well. We'd love to chat to you. If you've already decided to follow Jesus, how can, how can we side with the crucified king when it cross, costs us the world? And it was the same for John's readers. For them, gaining the world really did mean dying to this world. They had to choose, and I guess as Christians today, so must we. Being a Christian, someone who genuinely chooses Jesus over the world, well, it makes no sense if what you desire is a really nice family, a harmonious family, or a stable job, or, or your best life now. Choosing to follow Jesus won't make you your boss's best friend, or it might, won't help you. And I was just going to say, like, increasingly, we, we might become more bigoted. We might be called bigoted and, and, and homophobic and even, even sexist. But 
um, and we might even be um, locked away in, in, in prison as well. But it will be worth it because here Jesus, the Lord himself at the end of history, is summoning people out of their tombs, summoning you out of your tomb if you hear his voice. And he's summoning you into a new creation. Whatever the world has to offer, it's dying. But here's his chance to come out of the tomb and have this new creation life. Of course you want to follow him. It's an easy decision. I think it's massively exciting, isn't it, when we, that we're looking at John's gospel this term. And why don't we pray when we go into the breakout rooms really hard that we see life from the dead in other people. People who we spend hours in meetings at work with every day, knowing what we know, knowing what we've been taught, that they would have the chance to come out of their tombs. Perhaps planning and inviting questions for, um, uh, questions for life events. But also that we, we are the people who listen carefully to Jesus, the Lord come at the end of history, who's calling us, summoning us to keep following him. How can we side with the crucified king when it costs us the world? Well, the cost of siding with Jesus really did matter to Pilate in the end. And it also matters to us. A couple of um, weeks ago, I saw a clip on YouTube. It was a film of a psychology experiment, and they got about eight to ten people to go into a lift and then stand facing the wrong way. So, you know, when you go into a lift, you always turn, turn and face the door, and no one faces the back of a lift. But all these people were, were told to go into the lift and face the back, except for the poor subject of this experiment. He would walk in and do what you always do, walk through the door, spin on your heels, press the button and face the doors. But then as the lift continued to go up, various people would come in and out and they'd all face the back. And you'd see the person looking around sort of surreptitiously and then twitching and then twitching a bit more. And eventually they'd crack and sheepishly they'd turn and face the back of the lift as well. Well, look, this is an illustration that doesn't really matter at all. It's only a lift and it's only peer pressure. But like that experiment, it's hard to, hard to face the wrong way. It's hard to follow what you know when everyone else is very deliberately following something else. And in some ways, this is a bit like that. The cost of choosing Jesus, it could be everything that you have. That's what Jesus wants you to understand, but the cost of not choosing Jesus will be infinitely greater. It really is worth siding with the crucified king, even when it costs us the world. Let me quickly say a prayer um, together. Yeah, Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this very, very clear instruction. Thank you so much for um, the example that we see in Pilate, um, that there is no um, middle ground and that we all have to make a decision. Father, we pray that, yeah, from now forth, from now onwards, we would be um, wanting to um, follow um, the Lord Jesus wholeheartedly. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.